Welcome to the $7 Trillion Ideas to Save the World podcast. I'm your host, Nika Moini. I'm a master's in international affairs student in international economic policy with a focus on development financing at Carleton University. I'm also a community leader, advocate of youth entrepreneurship, and author of Careers in International Relations, Generation Z's Guide to Global Citizenship. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the $7 Trillion Ideas to Save the World podcast. Today, we have Mike Lightman here with us, who is a international entrepreneur and works for the World Bank in creating new entrepreneurial ecosystems around the world. So we're very excited to have him here with us. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. So let's get started with you telling us about your background, how you got to where you are, and what you're doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a gift in that I can use a lot of words to say very little. So at any point, if I begin rambling on, just cut me off. You won't hurt my feelings. Um, I basically stumbled into the world of entrepreneurship. Um, I went to college for marketing and computer information systems. And right after graduation, I joined an organization called the Peace Corps, which is a U.S. government development agency. And I moved to Morocco. I learned to speak Arabic while I was out there and ultimately lived on the Moroccan-Algerian border for two years. And while I was there, as oftentimes happens in development work, um, the project that I was supposed to be doing, it was at a building that was under construction and there was nothing to be done. Um, And I just found myself frustrated with some of the weird eccentricities that one might have when they go from one country to another. Um, And I wanted to build solutions for it that seemed very obvious to me at the time. Uh, I'll give you a quick example is in the middle Atlas mountains, which is where I lived in the wintertime, you are walking around, excuse me, there's snow on the ground. You're inside of your house. A lot of people could not afford fuel for their heaters. So they would just sit under blankets um, and not really live very comfortably because it was so cold, oftentimes colder inside the house than outside the house. But being in North Africa, it's warm enough that you can literally walk outside and take a jacket off because the sun is just beaming down on you. So kind of with those two things, I thought there's gotta be some way to combine this and I'm very unhappy being cold all the time. So designed a solar panel made from locally found materials that would heat air. So nothing complex. Um, And then taught local entrepreneurs, how do you make these panels and help them kick off really what was for a B2B, B2C, across the board, various different solar panels um, in a heating type of business. Uh, I did that and then I helped kind of kick off truffle mushrooms were found locally in my area as well and helped um, a couple of entrepreneurs get going on conserving them and branding them and labeling them and selling that along with all the other feel good type things one might do in the Peace Corps. I uh, came back, I was in sales for a while doing B2B business to business and business to consumer, got myself an MBA. And while I was there really just stumbled into the world of entrepreneurship, even though I was acting as an entrepreneur, Um, and had that mentality of an entrepreneur. I didn't really know what entrepreneurship was. And I had a friend that was there that pulled me aside one day and said, why are you chasing down the traditional MBA jobs? You should be working with startups. You should be looking into venture capital. Um, I looked it up and basically thought, 
holy cow, I can't believe that's an actual career that people have. I'm definitely going to try this. So really through serendipity found myself working at a small venture capital firm upon graduation, a little bit before graduation. And then after where my job was really looking at the, the typical early stage venture type activities. So you're looking at early stage deal flow, everything from somebody with an idea on a piece of paper, all the way up to I built a prototype and I'm trying to get it in the market. But what was really interesting from our end is that we were focused in hardware. So you're talking about climate related technologies, manufacturing, transportation, medical devices, with just the smallest amount of the social media type apps and really what was popular back, like all the other popular software only type things. Um, which was great. And my job was looking at deal flow, assessing the deal flow, and then eventually leading teams doing that. But I found myself wanting more because it, oftentimes the role of an investor, and I'm not knocking it, but the role of an investor is to identify what is a good deal today and will this be a good company and can I get money back? It's not to say, oh, I think this is an amazing concept but they have to do about 15 more things. I'm going to help them do those things and then invest in them because they, they have to, it's binary. They have to be ready or they're not ready. So I, I got more excited about the opportunities that I saw than I did about the investment component of it. And I moved to New York city and I got a job at a clean tech focused incubator um, with the concept of, or the idea of, I'm going to do all the things that a venture capitalist does minus the cash and really convert that into the support, the help, the access, all the things to help a company grow for the folks that might be at the precipice of raising money, but perhaps missing one or two things. So I did that. Um, and while I was there, saw some absolutely amazing companies, just great experiences. Um, but as many people do, I fell in love with a young lady getting her PhD in upstate New York and knew that it was time for me to leave the city, which I did. And I had ended up speaking at an event for an absolutely amazing global incubator called 1776. I bumped into some folks from the World Bank with this program that builds startup ecosystems around the world and then found myself working with them. So kind of going into my day job now, um, the World Bank has this program, Building Startup Ecosystems. I like to imagine it as 50% your standardized start a program in a box. So everything from ideation sessions to boot camps and hackathons to incubators and accelerators to even supporting investment groups that want to be venture capital folks or angel investors and going through almost the cookie cutter style programs. And then it's 50% looking at the ecosystem itself. So what's the entrepreneurial culture? What's the operational ecosystem? What's the comparative advantage, the comparative need of a country? Um, and creating this perfect hybrid mixture to really get the country going on the entrepreneurial path of where it needs to go. And luckily, the World Bank is also able to bring in expertise and cash and all the things that oftentimes individual ecosystems might not be able to bring. So my job is to come in and do everything from look at the programs based off of where they are and help them get to the next level, design new programs, oftentimes finding um, and building the networks, finding the team, training the teams that'll be running these programs, working with them, bringing in the first cohort or two, getting it to a point where it's sustainable, and then moving on to the next program. And I, I suppose you could say I suffer from startup ADD. So in my free time, I'm an advisor, mentor, entrepreneur, and resident, whatever you want to call it, 
with a few different accelerator and incubator programs. Um, I'm on the advisory board of South by Southwest, and I feel like I'm probably missing a bunch of other things that I do. But basically, I live, breathe, and eat startups when I'm not working with startups. I'll pause. That's probably a lot. <laughs> that is awesome. So, you know, you're clearly very passionate about startups. So tell us more about why you think startups are key to achieving the sustainable development goals. I know you've worked with clean tech, you've worked with climate stuff, but kind of more broadly, um, why are they key to achieving the SDGs? And then what, what kinds of startups do you think are making the biggest impact? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think even broader than sustainable development, I think startups are really useful for everything. Um, and I guess there's the, the typical lifestyle, and you're an economist, you, I'm sure you live, breathe, and eat this, but they're the various lifestyles that you see in companies, and generally the larger an organization is, the slower moving it's going to be, the more it's going to fear any change that can lead to negative results. So the beauty of uh, a startup is I would say it's twofold. Number one is they can be incredibly agile. They can adjust and, and really fit whatever niche it needs to fit. Um, and oftentimes as well, you find these individuals that are passionate and experts in a very particular field that you don't normally get in these larger organizations. So you can find startups that focus in the weirdest niches, niches like recycling beer, the, the byproduct of beer, to create protein bars, um, or just something that no ordinary food company, and I'm using this as my random example, would ever come up with. <clears throat> so I think in addition to that, development groups, I mean, they're often slower moving, they're often grant funded, they spend a lot of their time and energy inevitably on fundraising and reporting, and they oftentimes aren't able to know what's happening on the ground. Even a lot, and I, I'm overgeneralizing, I realize I'm being unfair, um, so don't give anybody my email address after this or my Twitter handle. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but the, it's just the problem in, in resource management that oftentimes the people that are running the organizations, they spend their time, they, they're no longer able to do the things that they're passionate about. They spend their time on all the, the fundraising, the reporting, the hiring, the HR, and they don't really have an opportunity to have the boots on the ground. And I think that's really where not even getting into the technology component of this, but just in the, the infrastructure and the style part of it, I think that entrepreneurship allows us to really execute on laser focused goals in a way that a lot of bigger groups can't do that. Um, one more thought that just thinking about that I've seen, which is really unique and, and I would say it's, um, uh, a pleasant surprise is I've discovered no matter what country I go to, this concept of entrepreneurship always transcends whatever the local culture is. So I've gone to, for instance, I've been in Jamaica, I've been in Ethiopia, I've been in China, and you go into each country and you might work with various partners that are there and they'll say, oh, you know, you really should be cautious about advertising for things this way. You should really be cautious about communicating with people this way. This is how things are done. And I'm not talking about cultural insensitivity uh, and, and not showing respect, but generally there's always some secret group that might be hanging out in cafes, they might be going to bar, wherever it is that they are, 
that all think the same way. They're obsessed with building businesses. They're obsessed with these opportunities. They're probably frustrated and they want to fix a problem. And they don't really care about what the local cultural, uh, I'll use air quotes, constraints are. They just care about doing business. So I think the, the uh, extra beauty of this is that it's not like we need to go out and create entrepreneurship and inspire people to be entrepreneurs. I think that there are pockets of this everywhere. Um, they, they, more than anybody else, know what's happening on the ground, which is a problem that major organizations have. It's finding that and really igniting that spark effectively in all the right spots to get them going. So that's my long-winded answer to why I think it's really important. And then the types of startups that I find really interesting, um, you know, to give you the cliche answers first, industry-wise, everything. I mean, the political correct thing is, not political correct, but just the general thought is all the innovation that we're doing is, for the most part, good. So more research, more R&D, more building of things is always going to push us further. Um, realistically though, to actually answer your question a little bit, um, well, I'll give you one more kind of cop-out answer is, and I, I just need to stress this point, is the more experience a founder has, the more prepared they are, I would say that the, the leadership of a team and the, the dedication of a team, in my mind, trumps whatever the industry is because you can find companies that, that whose primary function aren't necessarily making a positive impact on the world but they still can if they're run effectively um and now i'll actually answer your question and the industries that i think are really interesting um can i can i stop you there for a second actually please do and, and uh before we get into that part i just wanted to ask like you know you mentioned that the culture is the same in all these different countries and entrepreneurs are still kind of getting together and overcoming the uh, cultural obstacles as you call them. Um, so what is it that they still need from, you know, like someone like the world bank or the Western world to come in and help them with? Like, what is it that they're missing in order to light that spark as you were saying? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Give me one second. I'm going to pull up one of my favorite maps and I can look at it while we talk. Um, so there's something called the Babson model of building entrepreneurial ecosystems. And there are six components that ultimately go into what you need in a startup ecosystem. I'll just name them and give you quick descriptions of them, but anybody can go online and look this up and really go into an incredible amount of detail. Um, there's policy, which is making sure that there's the appropriate incentives in place to help entrepreneurs grow and the right institutions available. There's finance, which is literally, I mean, that's what we're talking about today is it's, it's great to take a risk, but it's not enough. You need somebody that's going to invest in you. There needs to be money available. There's the culture. And I would go a little bit deeper for the cultural piece and say there still need to be success stories. There needs to be um, some degree of societal norms. So it's there's a difference of people in the United States graduating with the aspiration of being an entrepreneur and people in Ethiopia graduating and knowing they want to be entrepreneurs, but knowing that they'll be shunned if they do that because it's just not done. So some establishment of the norm and, and I would say institutional level support for that. 
General support systems is number four. This is your incubators, your accelerators, your spaces, the infrastructure. The, these are the industry experts that can help with things and your business experts that can do accounting and legal and all the other basic operational components. There's access to good people, which is, I think that's really where the pocket of people will exist, but then just finding the educational programs that will pump out more people in the future, the training programs. And then finally, there needs to be a market. Um, every, every product needs to be sold somehow. So it's I, ideally, and I'm used to working in the world of hardware, so it's a little bit different for me than it is for anybody with a SaaS platform. But generally speaking, if you build something, you need to make something, and then you need to sell something. And, and helping in any way to really, I would say what the World Bank is doing, or specifically the types of programs that I'm helping, is we do a little bit in the policy, we're really heavy in the finance component, we do as much as possible to drive the culture, to really create the infrastructure for these support systems and partner with the universities and partner with potential customers for some of these areas in which we're operating to help almost bridge the gap, very much like what you're doing, bridge the gap between all these siloed organizations, connect them and play this wizard-like ombudsman that can put finance in the right places at the right time and have the right events at the right time to bring everybody together. Right, and it's awesome that the World Bank does that because it's an organization that kind of has, you know, a name and respect and financing, so it can it can do that. <laughs> Whereas, you know, if, if an actual startup in the region took that role, it might be more difficult. So very Oh, absolutely. Awesome. So, yeah, I'll let you get on to the next portion of the question then about the types of startups you find exciting. And then kind of tying into that, um, I know you post a lot about, like, different innovations in the future of food. And I thought that was kind of an interesting angle to take. Um, I myself am a vegan, so I'm all about the plant-based alternatives. So if you want to even touch on that, that could be really cool. Yeah, of course. Um, I guess I should... I should have said this earlier. Uh, everything that I'm saying, I, I do not represent the World Bank in these conversations. I am a contractor to the World Bank. Um, I am hired to do this job specifically. So all of my opinions are my own and not the World Bank. Just had to get that out. Um, <laughs> yeah, so no worries there. I think some of the areas that I find really interesting, and this is in the global space, and there are more, there are so many different things, but the water space, the agriculture, health, energy, mobility, and fintech, I just think are fascinating. Um, and they're everything from incredibly complex to just really dumb and simple. I'll give you an example. Uh, I've got a friend, a married couple, they travel around the world and they've got this just, they, they basically created this device and they formalized it. The cost next to nothing that when you hook a battery up to it, it, and you put it underwater with the right chemical combination, it creates really potent chlorine, which can then be poured into a water reservoir to clean dirty water. This device costs like $5, and it's incredibly easy to use once you've walked through it, and it brings clean water to folks around the world. Um, so I think you know that's a really cool example in a really interesting space. That is the quintessential bootstrap you don't need to raise millions of dollars. You can just do it and then move on. Um, ag, and I'll, I'll actually answer your question on ag. 
but two companies that I think that I've seen, I guess, you know, I won't go into the companies right now, but just generally there's um, agricultural sustainability and independence is a prevalent theme in a lot of countries. I mean, I don't, you just look at the news and I think any of us can see why this is important. Health is still, once again, same thing, even in the United States, there's all kinds of problems with that. So I recently was chatting with somebody who's setting up a telehealth system in Kenya. And that's one of the things that's really interesting um, about working around the world is that they don't have to go through whatever the pains that a country like the United States has gone through to create their infrastructure. They can leapfrog privatize a lot of interesting things and set up either a regular telehealth, a phone telehealth, a video conferencing telehealth with doctors connecting great high quality doctors who don't have enough work with the patients that really would like to be speaking with people, but they don't have the ability to travel. They don't have the money to pay for a doctor or anything else and bridge that gap. Um, Energy, everything across the board from energy storage, energy production, energy infrastructure products that reduce the amount of uh, energy that we use. And then even cool things like new trading markets that allow the average user like you or I, who might be interested in this, uh, might want to invest in it and be a part of it, but we don't know how to go online and make investments in a secondary market or a primary market, just like you're buying stocks but this time buying energy assets. Um, Mobility is kind of the same thing. I've, I've seen what the breakdown in transportation can do, um, specifically in the Caribbean. And the more, the easier it is for people to connect, I think just the better it is. And then finally, FinTech. Um, there, you may or may not be surprised at the amount of people that don't have access to having a bank account that are still holding physical cash and just the easing the ability to do transactions can skyrocket the amount of the the growth of an economy so going to your question about plant-based innovations um i don't want to say too much just yet fingers crossed knock on wood but i'm in the process of raising a venture fund right now that's focused on the future of protein which is fundamentally i would say two things or two areas. One of them is clean meat, which is the concept of growing meat out of a lab or out of a vat, which is the crude way of saying it, instead of on animals. Um, And then the other one is plant-based proteins, algae-based proteins, bug and cricket-based proteins, and then alternative dairy products. And for my end, I mean, there's a couple of reasons that I find it so interesting. One of them really is the environmental component and the unsustainability of a lot of the practices that we have. Um, Part of it just has to do with the way that we're doing farming right now and the incredible opportunities. Part of it it really is animal cruelty and, and reducing that. And then a big part of it too, quite frankly, is that there's an incredible demand for these, these products. And ironically going in this space, maybe it's not ironically, but when we design new products like this, we can know where the sources are much better. We can understand the ingredients that are in them. There's a lot less that goes into it. Uh, the quality goes up, the health factors of it go up, and overall, it's just an unbelievable space. And I guess I should tell you maybe a little bit more about what we'll be doing. Once again, fingers crossed, we will be a 
an accelerator-based fund with the concept of, in the short run, anybody that's interested in building a plant-based protein, excuse me, product, we will have an industrial food kitchen, we'll provide some basic investment in companies, have, I would say, a three to six month program, probably airing on six months, where people can come in every day and work with industry experts, scientists, nutritionists, business people, and ultimately, I would say, cook and engineer the products, the next generation of plant-based protein products. Um, work with us to set up everything from the prototyping and the packaging to the manufacturing to the distribution and even help get it on the shelves all while operating from here and then as you continue to grow just like any other fund follow-on funding blah 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 everything else that goes with that so exciting <laughs> I'm like, so if you know anybody wow, that I wants wanna, to build a product let me know I want to do that <laughs> you should do that very cool Awesome. Well, I mean, that brings us to our very last question, actually, which is a question we ask everyone on the podcast. Um, what else is needed to close the funding gap for sustainable development? In your mm. opinion? Very big question, but you can kind of take it any direction that you want. All right. So I've got my perfect world answer and my realistically world. In, my, in the perfect world, more transparency, organizations with the money need to be a little bit less academic and a little bit more operational in how they choose to roll out the funding. Um, that's probably not going to happen. So let me tell you what I think. And this is from an individual perspective that takes somebody, for instance, like me, who, said, who didn't know anything about the world of, of all of this and somehow made his way into it. Um, I think the trick for, for success is creating your own serendipity, which I think is a combination of, it's like luck with a twist. It's going out saying yes to everything, uh, asking everybody, how can I help you? What can I do to make your life easier? Building real relationships, following up with them, um, being genuine and just working towards something wonderful, collaborating instead of competing. Well, not that those two are mutually exclusive, but generally trying, trying to find ways to collaborate instead of operate in silos. And yeah, and I think what will happen is people's reputation will get better, more opportunities will come in front of them, and it will crescendo out. And if more people begin doing that and trying to find ways to work together, I think that organically will help close that gap. I really love that answer. I think that gets at the heart of what we really need and what this podcast is all about too, which is, you know, just making everyone collaborate more and, and understand each other and see the different parts of this puzzle as all working together for the same goals, um, you know, instead of competing, as you said. So thank you for saying that. Um, of course. Awesome. So yeah, if people want to learn more about you and the different projects you're involved in, where can they find you? Um, I need to get better on the Instagrams and the Twitters and all of that. I think the easiest way to get in touch with me is find me on LinkedIn. Um, if you can, please shoot me a message. If you send me an invite, I normally ignore if people don't send me a message, but if you just shoot me a note, um, I'll happily add you. We can find a time to chat and connect and everything else. So that's probably the absolute best way to stay in touch or to reach out, not to stay in touch.
Okay, awesome. So yeah, that brings us to the end of this podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure to share it with someone that would find this fascinating and valuable. And we will see you next time. Bye. Take it easy. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the $7 trillion ideas to save the world podcast. If you know someone who would love listening to this content, make sure to send it over to them so they too can learn about it. And together, let's change the world.